Good evening, everyone. How are you folks doing today? Wonderful, wonderful. So glad that you made it out tonight. <clears throat> dear Father in heaven, thank you so, so much, dear God, for giving to us another day, another week to live, another opportunity to come to study your word that teaches us how to live. And we invite your Holy Spirit to be with us in a special way, that you guide our thoughts, you guide my words, and that the message would be clear and that we would get excited about what we're going to learn right now, understanding that you're a God that loves us and that you care about us in every single aspect of our lives. Lord, we know that there are still others that are on their way. We pray that you'll bring, their, bring them here safely and quickly so that your house could be filled with people and with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat> amen. How to postpone your funeral. Now, friends, it's a known fact that each and every one of us are going to die one day. That's just the nature of living in this sinful world. We live in a world of sin, and the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we are all destined to die eventually if Jesus doesn't come soon. But the Bible actually tells us that we can die faster by the foolish choices that we make. Notice what it says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 17. The Bible says, Be not overmuch wicked, neither be thou foolish. Why shouldest thou die before thy time? Now many people say, you know, when it's my time to die, then that's my time. But according to the Bible, it tells us that we can actually die before we are supposed to die, before the time that God has allotted to us. <clears throat> and that happens because of our wicked and foolish choices. Notice another one in Proverbs 10, verse 27. We're just going to have a simple Bible study tonight. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be what? <clears throat> So it says that our years can be shortened by our own wickedness, by our own foolish choices. And so for that cause, we want to find out what decisions ought we to make to postpone our funeral. If we can hasten our funeral, then thank God we can also postpone it. Amen? And notice what Jesus said in, or not Jesus, but the wise man Solomon said in Proverbs 3, verses 1 and 2, My son, forget not my law, but let thine heart keep my commandments. For length of days and long life and peace shall they add to thee. So the Bible tells us that when we keep and heed God's laws and his commandments and his teachings, that our days will be lengthened and our years will be added, years will be added to our lives. And that's good news, amen? That we can actually live a longer and a happier life by making the right decisions. But what kind of life does God desire for us to live? Many people think that the life that God wants us to live is a boring, mundane, ordinary life. And that's one of Satan's greatest lies in the, in the world today. He causes people to think that if we give our life to Jesus, man, we can't do this, we can't do that. He causes us to focus on all the restrictions or the rules and regulations, makes us think that we're going to miss out on something. But nothing could be further from the, from the truth, friends. For when we live our life fully for Christ, it's the fullest 
and the happiest life that we could ever live. And that's what Jesus promised to us in John 15 and verse 11. Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be what? So Christ does not want us to live a, a, a gloomy life a, 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 a full of sadness and boredom, but He wants us to live a happy life full of joy. And so what he, he has spoken these things, his message, the message of the Bible is given to us so that we might have His joy. And if we have His joy, then that means our joy will be full. And if our joy is full, then that means we're joyful. Amen? That means we ought to walk around with a smile on our face because we have joy in our hearts. And Jesus is the one that gives us that joy. By the way, the word joy is an acronym. J-O-Y stands for Jesus first, others second, yourself last. And when we live our life with those priorities, we will truly experience the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. Can you say amen? Now notice in first, oh, excuse me, 3 John chapter 1 and verse 2, it tells us what kind of life God wants us to live. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in what? Be in health even as thy soul prospers. So God desires above all things for the prosperity of His children. He wants you to prosper, friends. And He wants us to experience the best of health. And this is not just referring to spiritual health, but it's also referring to physical, mental, emotional, social, relational, financial health as well. And it's my prayer that as we study this message tonight that we will see the picture of a, of a God that is kind and gentle and loving, a God that is intimately interested in every single aspect of our lives and wants to bless us in every single way. In fact, we read this verse before. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus said that the thief does not come but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Satan not just wants to destroy our souls, he also wants to destroy our bodies, our finances, our relationships, our marriage, and our health. And he's doing all that he can to destroy the children of the Lord. But the rest of the verse says, But I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. So the life that God wants us to live is, is a healthy life. It's an abundant life. It's a life full of full of His fullness and His joy and His prosperity and His health. And to help us understand how we might obtain that kind of life, God has given to us His Word that gives us principles of how to live from day to day. You see, friends, God is our Creator. He is the one that made our physical bodies. And as our Creator, He knows how our bodies run at its optimum. Isn't that right? And so in His Word, He gives us a message specifically in, the, specifically in the book of Revelation that actually teaches us how to postpone our funeral, how to be fit for the end of time, and how to be ready for the last days. I want you to notice what this message is in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 and verse 7. Here's the everlasting gospel given to the whole world before Jesus returns. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. So as we mentioned before, this message is a global message. 
Not for one race, but for the entire human race. And it's called the gospel, which doesn't mean bad news. What does the word gospel mean? It means good news. So this is a good news message, friends. I want you to keep that in mind because, friends, if you've never heard what you're about, what you're about to hear tonight before, you're going to be tempted to think that it's bad news. You're going to be tempted to be disappointed, in fact. But keep it in mind. This is not a bad news message, not a disappointing message. It is a good news, get happy, get excited gospel message. Amen? What does this message say? Verse 7, saying with a loud voice, fear God and give what to Him? Glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come. So part of this gospel message, which is, which is a very holistic message, is a call to the world to fear God and give God the glory. Now, I want us to notice what happens when we heed, when we hear and heed that message. What happens when we fear the Lord and give Him glory? The Bible tells us that the years of our life will be increased. In Proverbs 9, verse 10 and 11, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. For by me, thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. So the Bible says that when we fear the Lord, we will have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and our days are multiplied, and our years will be increased. Now, it's interesting that for every truth that God has, there's a counterfeit. There's a true way to increase the years of our lives as, as is found in the instructions and commands of God. But there's so many different other methods that people are doing to try to increase the years of their life, trying to, to get health and be happy. And, and many people are taking all kinds of medications and all kinds of pills to add years to their life. Well, I want to submit to us tonight, friends, that we really only need one pill to add years to our life. And you know what pill is that? It's the gospel. <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ is the one pill that we need that will add years to our life. It's the good news of Jesus. And a part of that gospel says, fear God and give glory to Him. So now the, the next question is, what does it mean to give glory to God practically? It's more than just singing and praising and, and, and shouting. To give God the glory means to glorify Him in the way that we live our lives. Notice in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, whether therefore you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the what? So the Bible tells us that we can glorify God in the things that we eat and drink. And whatever we do, that encompasses the way that we live our lifestyle from day to day. And so if there is a way we can eat and drink to the glory of God, then that implies clearly that there's also a way that we can eat and drink that is not to the glory of God. And so what we want to find out tonight is this. How do we eat and drink to the glory of God? How do we live our lives in such a way that will glorify our Creator and our Maker? You see, most people think, this is my body, so I'm going to eat what I want to eat. I'll drink what I want to drink. It doesn't matter. Uh, this body belongs to me. But is that true, friends? Does this body belong to us? No, it belongs to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, the, the Bible says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Why? Because you were bought with a price. And friends, that's important for us to remember. This body doesn't belong to us. 
it has been purchased with an expensive price. And do you know what that price is? The precious blood of the Lamb. Not corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the blood of Jesus, we have been purchased at an infinite price, friends. Don't ever forget, my friends, that you are the most valuable thing in the universe. God bought you with His own blood. And that's what the word redeemed means, by the way. The word redeemed literally means to buy back. You see, God owns us in two ways. Number one, because He created us. He owns us by the fact that He made us. He's our creator. And then number two, He owns us because He redeemed us. He bought us back when we sold our souls to Satan. And so because we were bought with an expensive price, the precious blood of Jesus, how shall we respond when we understand this sacrifice? Verse 20 tells us, you were bought with a price, therefore do what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. In other words, when we understand the price that, that, that Christ purchased us with, as the natural result, therefore, that word therefore is a conclusionary word. It's a word of conclusion. Because we're bought with a price, what's the conclusion? What's the response? What's the results? Therefore, we ought to glorify God, not just spiritually in spirit, but also physically in our bodies. And the reason why God calls us to glorify Him physically is because the physical, the mental, and the spiritual are all indelibly connected together. Modern science have shown that the healthier the body, the clearer the mind. The clearer the mind, the more distinct you will hear God's voice speaking to your conscience through the holy pages of Scripture. And so the more unhealthy you are physically, the more clouded your mind is going to be. And the more clouded your mind, the more difficult it will be to understand spiritual things and hear the voice of God. Does that make sense? And that's why the, the message of the Bible is a holistic message. God cares for us not just spiritually, but physically as well, because everything is indelibly connected together. In fact, science have shown the opposite to be true as well. They have shown that if we can learn to think positively, if we can focus on the blessings of life instead of dwelling upon the difficulties of life, then our brain can actually produce powerful endorphins that boost immunity that causes you to be a lot more healthy physically. And that's what the Bible teaches, by the way. The wise men said that thousands of years before science discovered that truth. In Proverbs 16, 24, the Bible says, A merry heart does good like a what? A medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. You see, if we can... Uh, count, the, count the blessings and, and receive the joy of the Lord. It's like medicine to the physical body. In fact, notice another one in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. In view of what? In view of the mercy of God, what are we to do? It says, To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your what kind of act? Your spiritual act of worship. So notice, notice this verse, what it's saying. It says that when we offer our physical bodies to God, that offering is a spiritual act of worship. Why? Because again, the, the, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual are all connected together. Everything is, is intimately connected. 
And so God has claims upon our physical well-being. And tell me, friends, does God deserve the very best from us? Yes or no? And so let's make sure we give Him the best and not anything less. And He deserves the best because He gave His best for all when He died on Calvary's cross. And so Satan also knows this truth. The devil knows that the physical, mental, and spiritual are connected. So Satan wants to ultimately destroy us spiritually, but the way in which he does it is by trying to de de destroy us physically and mentally first. And so he has developed a plan to destroy our bodies, our minds, and our souls, a plan to destroy health. And you'll find that for every good thing God has given us for good health, Satan has countered it with something that destroys it. For example, God has given us clean air uh, to breathe, to, 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 to have a clear mind and a healthy body, but Satan wants us to inhale and breathe polluted air. And friends, what he has invented is polluted air in the form of tobacco smoke. Now, we're getting very practical tonight. You see, friends, tobacco smoke is, is, is something that destroys our body, our mind, and our souls. God never intended for us to light up anything to calm our, no, our nerves. God wants to be our nerve calmer and our peace giver. Can you say amen? And if God intended for us to smoke, He would have created us with chimneys on our heads, but no one has that. Cigarette smoking contributes to various forms of cancer, heart disease, strokes and emphysema and, and a whole bunch of other things. In fact, science has shown, doctors say that every cigarette shortens a person's life by 14 and a half minutes. That's 14 and a half minutes you could have had to live in honor and glorify your God. It not only affects the health of those who partake of it, but also the innocent bystanders, our loved ones, through secondhand smoke. And friends, is this, is this serious? Yes, because the Bible tells us in the commandment, thou shalt not kill. And friends, that's what cigarette smoking does. You're killing yourself slowly. And so it is a sin against the holy law of God to do any type of drug and, 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 and to be addicted to these things. I'm so grateful, friends, that we don't have to be a slave to any bad habit because Jesus can give us the victory. The Bible says in Philippians 3, Philippians 4.13, I can do how many things? Not most things, all things through Christ who gives me the strength. And I've experienced it, friends. You heard my testimony before. I was a druggie. I was addicted to smoking weed and uh, cigarettes and alcohol, and I would do it every single day, constantly getting high, burning up my brain cells, and I had to have it. And whenever I did not have it, whenever I didn't have any money to buy it, I would, I would take the glass pipe, and I would scrape up the resin. I would smoke the resin. I was a slave to these bad habits. And no matter how hard I tried on my own strength to stop, I couldn't do it. It had a stronghold on my life. But in this condition, someone invited me to a Bible prophecy seminar, and I heard about Jesus. I heard the power of the gospel, and I realized that I, can't, I couldn't continue to do these things and serve God at the same time, so I had to make a decision to let it go. And when I let, when I let it go and allowed God to take it from me, let me tell you, friends, all I did was pray. I said, Lord, would you please make me free from these addictions? Take away the desire for it so that I, so that I no longer want it. And it didn't take a week, not even a few days. Instantly, the Lord took it away from my life. Not only that, but he restored my burnt brain cells, and he made me a preacher of his, of his good news message. Amen? That's what God can do, friends. <clears throat> and so if you're struggling with any kind of bad habits, whether it be drugs or alcohol or whatever it might be,
you come talk to us. We want to help you gain the victory over that demonic habit in Jesus' name. We have a plan, a three-step plan that guarantees the victory if you really want, want it and are ready to be finished. And so God wants us to, to breathe His air, not the things that Satan has made. Another thing God has given us for clean bodies and clear minds is life-giving water. Water is the very best beverage that you can ever drink. But Satan has another beverage that destroys the body, mind, and soul, and that's alcohol, friends, alcoholic beverages. Now, God does not want us to partake of alcohol in any of its forms, and the reason why is because it destroys us, friends. It destroys our body, mind, and souls. And so what does the Bible teach about alcohol? Well, we don't have the time to do a very exhaustive study, but let me share with you these few verses. In Proverbs 20, verse 1, it says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The Bible says that wine and strong drink, alcoholic beverages, it deceives us, it mocks us, it leads us astray. And the reason why alcohol is deceptive is because it's addictive, it will destroy your brain cells, and it dramatically affects our ability to reason. And friends, when you think about it, how does God communicate with us? With our reason, with our mind. And if our mind is intoxicated, the Holy Spirit has a difficult time getting through to our conscience. So the only safety, friends, for those who are serious about the Lord Jesus is to abstain from alcohol in all of its forms. Now, some of you might be wondering, especially those who've never heard this before, but I thought it was okay to drink wine in moderation. I mean, didn't Jesus turn the water into wine? I mean, isn't, isn't wine good for the heart, they say? Didn't Jesus drink wine? Well, friends, yes, Jesus drank wine, and I'm happy to tell you tonight that I drink wine. I'm a wine drinker. I love drinking wine. But here's the thing, friends. Wine comes in two different forms. Isn't that right? <coughs> wine in the Bible always has the same definition. In the Hebrew Old Testament, it's the word yayin. In the Greek New Testament, oinos. And in every single case you find the word wine in the Bible, it simply means the juice of the grape or grape juice. How many of you like grape juice? Do you drink grape juice? That makes you a wine drinker, friends. <laughs> but remember, grape juice comes in two different forms. It comes either fermented, which is old, rotten, dead that's what makes it alcoholic and, and, and dangerous. Or it comes unfermented, which is fresh, pure, clean, living grape juice. Which wine did Jesus drink? Did Jesus drink? He drank the unfermented wine, the wine as it came from the grape, fresh grape juice. And this is the wine that he passed around during communion, during the Last Supper. In Matthew 26, verse 29, Jesus said to the, to, to the disciples, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in what condition? New with you in my Father's kingdom. So that wine was the new wine. It wasn't old and alcoholic like some churches serve. It was fresh, pure grape juice. And friends, that makes sense. You know why? Because what did that wine represent? His blood. And tell me, friends, when we partake of the blood of Jesus, does it intoxicate us or does it sober us up? It sobers us up, friends. It cleans us. The, the, the wine doesn't destroy us. It heals us. The blood of Christ heals us, friends. Now, Jesus also said that the wine is a symbol of the New Testament, the New Covenant. And that makes sense. God wouldn't use old wine to symbolize a new covenant. 
He would use new wine to symbolize a new covenant, fresh, pure grape juice. That's what the wine that Jesus uh, passed around. That was, the that was the wine that Jesus turned the water into at the marriage of Cana. In fact, even on the cross in Mark 15, 23, the soldiers tried to offer him sour wine, and notice what happened. When they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. He spit it out, friends. Now, if anyone had uh, perhaps a good reason to drink alcoholic beverage to benumb the senses, surely it would be Jesus in all that pain and agony on the cross. But not even in that situation would Jesus drink it. He wanted to make sure his mind was clear as he communed with, with, with his Father in prayer. And so he spit it out, thus giving us an example and the power to spit it out as well. In fact, notice another one. In Proverbs 23, verse 31 to 33, the Bible says, look, look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it gives its color in the cup, when it moves itself aright. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes shall behold strange women, and your heart shall utter perverse things. And if you've ever been under the influence or seen someone, you know that that's the case. Isn't that right? They utter perverse things and they see things and they can't walk straight. The Bible tells us that alcoholic beverage is like a, is like a serpent. And the serpent is a symbol of Satan himself. This is the devil's drink, friends. And if you're struggling with this, I want you to know that you don't have to be a slave. God wants to give you victory even tonight. Now, another drink that is equally as dangerous as wine or alcoholic beverages, strong drink, another drink that, 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 is, that is just as dangerous but seems so innocent to many people, in fact, there are even some churches that serve this to their church members. It's the world's most popular drug. Do you know what the world's most popular drug is? It's caffeine, friends. And yes, we're going there. Caffeine. It's a powerful stimulant that's addictive. And you don't have to let a preacher tell you this. Just go and ask Google. Google knows everything. And type in, is caffeine a drug? And you'll find page after page of medical research so, that's showing that there's nothing good that caffeine does for your body. It destroys your body. It attacks your nervous system. In fact, notice what doctors say. Caffeine, the drug contained in coffee, also contained in a lot of different teas. Not all teas, but some teas. It's also contained in energy drinks, Coca-Cola, Mountain Dew, Pepsi, and uh, uh, many other things, is classed, uh, is classed in textbooks as both a stimulant and a what? It's poisonous, friends. It's a drug. What it does, it speeds up the brain and the nervous system, and it manipulates your brain to produce the hormone adrenaline. That hormone adrenaline is the hormone that's released in your body in a state of emergency. And so when you drink it, your body is manipulated into producing adrenaline when you don't really need it, and you have a boost of energy. You feel so alert. You're ready to start the day and, and take the world. But what happens is this. It's a quick fix. The adrenaline, when it wears off, you experience a crash. You experience headaches and fatigue and depression and sleeplessness and irritableness. And what happens is that your body builds tolerance to it. So you need a stronger and stronger dose. And when you don't have it, you begin to go through withdrawals just like a druggie getting off of drugs. Yes, friends, the best part of waking up is not Folgers in your cup. <laughs> it's Jesus in your cup. Amen? And Jesus is called the water of life. 
And it makes sense, friends. Let me tell you, if you're struggling with that, God can give you victory as well. Uh, decaffeinated coffee is a step in the right direction, but God can help you overcome the addiction of caffeine. He's, he's done it for so many other people. Now, friends, the Bible calls Jesus the water of life. Water is the very best beverage that you can ever drink. It's what your body needs. When, you wake up in the, when I wake up in the morning, I drink bottle after bottle after bottle of water. I have to go to the bathroom three or four times, but I'm just cleansing my body, replenishing all my cells so that I can have a clean body and a clear mind to hear the voice of God. This is what brings life. And so if you have a bottle of water, let's drink to life right now, shall we? <clears throat> Jesus is called the water of life. Now, I know that Starbucks doesn't really like me, but I hope we're still friends tonight. Amen? Now, there are some good stuff you can get at Starbucks. Don't get me wrong, but just put aside the caffeine. It destroys the body and the mind. Now, what does the Bible have to say about the things that we eat? Is God concerned with those things? Well, notice the promise He gives us in Exodus 15 and verse 26. God says, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in His sight and give ear to His commandments. Notice, God says, If you listen and do. Don't just be hearers of the Word, be doers. Notice the promise. I will put none of these diseases upon you which I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that does what? So God is the great healer of our body, and He promised to heal us if we listen and obey His principles. And He also says that He will spare us from the diseases that killed the Egyptians. Now, friends, what were some of the diseases that killed the Egyptians? Well, did you know that there were some, some, some scientists that did some autopsies on the ancient mummies of Egypt, and they discovered that those ancient Egyptians were dying from some of the same things that many of us Americans are dying of today. Notice what killed the Egyptians. High blood pressure, heart disease, cancer, arthritis, diabetes, obesity, STDs. Do those things sound familiar to you? These are the same diseases that are taking many Americans, many people living in our day and age. And God promised us that if we listen and obey His voice, He will spare us from the diseases of Egypt and He will bring healing to our body. Friends, how many would like to live a life free from all of these things? Is that your desire? And so we're going to see how as we study the Word of God tonight about the things that God says we should and should not eat. And remember, friends, you're going to be tempted to be disappointed if you're hearing this for the first time. But remember, it's a part of the everlasting gospel, which doesn't mean bad news, discouraging news. It means good news. Amen? And so I hope you get excited tonight. God, in the beginning of time, gave to the human race food for their bodies. The original diet in Genesis 1:29 included a diet of fresh fruits, nuts, and grains, later on vegetables. God's original diet, the best food on earth, a diet that excluded any animal products. But then in Genesis chapter 6, we read how God destroyed the world with a flood. And as a result of the world being destroyed, all the vegetation of the earth would be destroyed as well. And it was only after that, after the vegetation was destroyed, that God then gave man permission to begin to eat some of the animals. But he told Noah which animals to take on board the ark. Notice with me in Genesis 7, verse 2. You shall take with you how many? <clears throat> Seven of every what kind of animal? Clean animal, male and his female, and how much? 
to each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. So I want you to notice uh, clearly, friends, that before the Levitical law was written, before Jew ever existed, before Abraham existed, God's health principles existed when he made a distinction between clean and unclean animals, way back in the beginning, during the time of Noah. So seven of the clean came on board the ark, but only two of the unclean. Why seven of the clean? Because after the flood would destroy the vegetation, man now would, ha would, would, would be permitted to begin to eat the clean animals that came in by seven. But the unclean, they could not eat that came in by two. I mean, think about it. If they started eating the unclean animals, uh, right when they got off board the ark, those animals would be extinct because they only came in by two. And so we find that God made a distinction between clean and unclean animals. Some animals were clean, permissible to eat. Others were unclean, forbidden for us to eat. And some of you might be wondering, well, why were some animals unclean? Because God made them to be scavengers, to be living garbage disposals, to clean up all the junk and all the pollution of the earth, not intended for us to consume it. Now, later on, God gave man specific instructions as to how to prepare the clean meat. Notice what he says in Leviticus 3 and verse 17. It shall be a perpetual statue for your generations throughout all your dwellings that you eat neither what two things, fat nor blood. So even in eating the clean animals, God said, don't eat any of the fat nor any of its blood. And if you're hearing this for the first time, and you feel a little bit disappointed, don't worry, I know how you feel because when I, before I was a Christian, before I learned this, I used to order my steak medium rare, bloody. I used to love getting the garlic bread and, and wiping up all the blood. It would taste so good. I used to like eating the fat, friends. Tastes so good. But friends, when you think about it, the reason why God said not to eat of the fat or blood, because that's where the, all the toxins and impurities and diseases are. And God is wise. He said, don't eat it. Why? Because he loves us. And he does not want us to get sick from these things. And so what they did was they drained the meat of all of its blood. They put it in, in different salts and solutions to get rid of all the blood, and they would cut away or burn off all the fat. It's what they call kosher meat, no blood and no fat. And so we find that God's original diet, nonetheless, is a vegetarian, fruitarian diet. A diet that excludes animal products in all of its forms. But Satan's counter diet is a diet that includes unclean meats or animals. And so that begs the next question, what animals are clean, what animals are unclean? Well, the Bible tells us in Leviticus 11, verse 2 and 3. It says, These are the animals which you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. Among the animals, whatever does what? divides the hoof having cloven hooves and chewing the cud that you may eat so the bible tells us that a clean animal will have these two characteristics number one it will have a cloven or divided hoof and number two it would chew the cud which means it would have a complex digestive system so any animal that has those two characteristics are clean and permissible for us to eat and what animals fall under that category the cow sheep deer Oxen, these are animals that have a cloven hoof and they chew the cud, they eat grass, and they have a complex digestive system. As long as we cut off all the fat, drain it of all of its blood, these are animals that God has given us permission to eat of. But anything that doesn't have that, we can't eat according to the Bible. And what animals are they? 
Deuteronomy 14, 7 tells us, Nevertheless, these shall you not eat of them that chew the cud, or of them that divide the cloven hoof as the what? Camel. Sorry, friends, no more camel burgers. You can't eat camel. I know that's a terrible disappointment for you tonight. <laughs> and the hare, which is a rabbit. No more rabbit stew. We can't eat rabbit. And the coney, which is a rodent. For they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore, they are unclean to you. And so, so far, we're, we're, it's, it's okay. You know, most of us don't eat camel burgers or rabbits or, 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 or rodents. And so we're all good. Amen? But this next one, you might be disappointed if you're hearing this for the first time. So hold on to your seats. The Bible tells us, and the swine, because it divides the hoof, you choose not the cut, it's unclean to you. You shall not eat of their flesh, nor even touch their dead carcass. Friends, the Bible is clear that pig in all of its forms is unclean. That's, uh, that's ham and bacon and lard and pork chops, these things that, that taste so good. Friends, I know it tastes so good. I, I grew up eating these things. You see, I grew up in Hawaii. And Hawaii, that's the main thing they hunt. And they have all these Hawaiian delicacies that, that deal with pork, kalua pork with cabbage, and they, 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 they bury the whole pig under the ground, and they cook it for like six, seven hours with hot rocks. And it comes up, the whole thing, oh, man, it tastes so good. But, friends, I want you to consider why it tastes so good. It tastes so good because it's a filthy creature, friends. The pig eats anything. That's why they call it a pig. It is garbage. It will even eat its own feces. And when you eat the pig, you're eating what it's eating, but you're getting it secondhand. It didn't sound good the first time. It sounds even worse the second time. Amen? <clears throat> now, friends, listen. Even though it tastes good, doesn't mean it's good for us. And by the way, if it was good, God would have given it to us. Because the Bible says that God will withhold, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And just because it tastes good doesn't mean it is good. And the reason why it tastes so good with, with other animals, the reason why it's so flavorful, because I want you to consider that the pig, as well as other animals, don't have pores to sweat. You see, perspiration is an act of cleansing the body. Isn't that right? When you sweat, it's good for you. You're, you're cleansing. You're, your body is releasing all the toxins and all the impurities from your body. And have you ever tasted sweat? It has some flavor, doesn't it? <laughs> some seasoning in that. And that animal doesn't sweat. All the toxins remain in that animal. It doesn't release it. It stays in there, and the only time those... Uh, th those toxins and impurities come out is when you put it on the frying pan. And then all the sweat comes out, friends. No wonder why it tastes so good. And if you're getting grossed out tonight, that's a good thing, friends. You ought to thank God for getting grossed out. <laughs> to see that God's commandments make sense. Amen? The pig is the carrier of many types of diseases, including trachina worms. And that's why you can't have pig... You can't have your pork medium rare like, like, you, like your steak. They say you have, to, you have to cook it well done. You know why? To make sure you kill all the worms. So instead of eating living worms, you're eating dead worms. I don't want to eat any worms. <laughs> Amen? You're not disappointed, are you? Uh, perhaps many of you already know this and heard this before, but if you're hearing this for the first time, I know how you feel, but think about it. God's commandments makes sense. God said not to eat of it because He loves us. He doesn't want us to get sick from this terrible, 
this, this, this unclean animal. And by the way, I have a, a news clip. I don't have the time to show it to you tonight, but if you want to see it, I can show it to you afterwards. A news clip of a woman who had, who had terrible headaches. And she, she started to lose her vision and just terrible migraines. And, 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 the, and the doctors thought that she had cancer in her brain. And so when they operated, they opened up her brain, her skull, and, and, and they went to the place where they thought the cancer was, and instead of find can finding cancer, guess what they found? A worm in the brain. And, they, and that worm was still alive. It was a long one, too. You could see it. I have it all on video. And he, the doctor took out, took out that worm, they, and he said that this probably came from eating pork under, undercooked pork or by eating after using the bathroom, eat, uh, without washing your hands after you use the bathroom. So notice the level that they're putting the pork, the same level as using, your using the bathroom and not washing your hands before you eat. That's the level of this, uh, this animal. And so I hope and pray that, you know, if that won't motivate you to stop eating it, I'm not sure what will except for the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? <laughs> now, what about the animals in the water? What does God say that we can eat and not eat in the water? Well, basically, we can eat anything in the water as long as it has, what, two things? Fins and scales. You can find that in Leviticus 11, verse 9 and 10. So whatever has both fins and scales, you can eat. So that's most fish has fins and scales. But anything that doesn't have those two things are unclean. And what would that be? Crab and lobster. Clams and oysters. Shrimp and octopus. Catfish and eel and shark because it has fins but no scales. And if you're hearing this for the first time and are disappointed... I know how you feel, friends. I grew up in Hawaii. We're surrounded by the ocean. And I used to love eating the garlic shrimp. I used to love eating crab and just sucking the meat right out of the, out of the leg and taking the lobster tail and dipping it in the garlic butter and eating the whole thing. Oh, I grew up on these things. And when I first heard this, I was a little bit disappointed too because I, my taste buds were, had a stronghold on my life. <laughs> but when you think about it, what do all these animals have in common? They're bottom feeders. They're scavengers. God created them to clean up the ocean, friends. Clams and oysters and shellfish, they're natural water filters. They filter out all the, all the pollution, all the garbage, all the junk in the ocean. And friends, shrimp do the same thing. I don't know who in the right mind would ever really want to eat a shrimp. Do you know what shrimp are? Shrimp are the cockroaches of the sea. <laughs> <laughs> and friends, you wouldn't eat a cockroach, would you? So why in the world would you eat a shrimp? It's a, it's a disgusting animal. And, and friends, I remember one time, uh, so, uh, some of my family members, you know, they, they never, they didn't know these things. But they were making shrimp cocktail in the backyard, and they were cutting up the shrimp, raw shrimp. And all of a sudden, the flies started flocking. Tons of flies started, that, that, the smell of that shrimp just attracted all the flies. And so it makes sense why God would say not to eat of these things. They're unclean animals. Um, Prevention Magazine tells us that shellfish are dirty and dangerous. And so once again, remember, friends, God has told us not to eat of these things because He cares about us. Amen? Now, what about the birds? What about the creatures of the air? What can we eat of the birds? Well, friends, if you read Leviticus 11, verse 13 to 19... It gives us a list of birds that we should not eat. And the common thing that all those birds have in, ha have in common 
is that they're either scavenger birds or birds of prey. That's pred predatorial birds. And so whatever birds are not scavenger birds or, or birds of prey, that you can eat. And so you wouldn't want to eat a vulture. That's a scavenger. It's a filthy bird, a filthy animal. And you, you wouldn't want to eat a, 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 a hawk or a bald eagle either. That's a predatorial bird. And, and the Bible tells us that it's unclean. So you wouldn't want, want to eat a bald eagle. By the way, if you eat it, not only is it unclean, but you'll get thrown in jail if you try to eat that thing. And so what birds then are clean? Birds like the chicken, the turkey, and the quail. And somebody just said, yes, praise the Lord. <laughs> but remember to cut off all the fat and drain all the blood. Amen. And so we find, friends, three types of diets in the Bible. The prohibited sinful diet, a diet that includes unclean animals. Then you have the permissible diet, not the best, but permissible. Clean animals, as long as you cut off the fat, drain it of its blood. And then you have God's original and perfect diet, a diet that excludes animals in all of its forms, a vegetarian, fruitarian diet, the purest foods on the earth. And friends, listen carefully. Remember, we're not saved by what we eat or drink. Amen? We cannot eat our way into the kingdom of God. There's going to be many healthy people. There are going to be many vegans that are going to be lost. So we can't pride ourselves on the, on the, on the perfection of our, of our diet and what we eat and drink. We're not saved by these things. However, it's important for us to understand that these things are not optional. God has commanded us to take care of our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, it says, Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man do it, defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You see, our body belongs to Him. And if you study the Old Testament temple, no unclean animal was permitted to enter even in the outer court of the temple. If anyone brought a pig or an unclean animal in that temple, that would have defiled the temple, and the one that brought that animal would have been stoned, would have been, would have been stoned to death, friends. So God is serious. Our physical body is His temple, and He does not want us to put in His temple things that defile and friends, remember the, the motive of God. It's not because God is restrictive and wanting to just take away things that we like. It's because God loves us and is trying to protect us from things that are harmful, harmful for us. And so, friends, listen, for me personally, I used to eat everything. I was never brought up in a Christian home or religious household. I had no idea what the, oh, uh, the Bible taught these things. And, and so growing up, I ate everything. You name it, I probably ate it. And I, I loved eating all kinds of things. And when I first heard this, it was difficult at first, but it made sense. And so I made the decision to stop eating unclean animals. And I felt myself uh, becoming, having more strength and more, more energy during the day. But then as time went on, I felt convicted that perhaps I should lay aside even some of the clean animals. Because friends, today, in our day and age, even many of the clean animals are becoming dangerous like mad cow disease. How many times have we caught, have we heard beef being recalled and, 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 and chickens and whatnot? And what's happening in the meat industry in the United States of America today is terrible, friends. Absolutely horrendous. And if we knew how these animal, animals were being treated and how the, the meat is being processed, processed, it is something that we wouldn't want to be a part of. Mad cow disease. And by the way, I'd be mad too, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd be mad too if you tried to eat me. I want you to look up this website when you go home tonight. 
www.meet.meet.org. www.meet.org. And there you can meet your meat. Meet.org. And it's, you'll find some amazing things that are happening uh, in, in, in our in, our, in the industries, the food industry in our world today. Very shocking things, very tragic things. And friends, listen, <clears throat> why is this important? It's because the healthier the body, what? The clearer the mind. The clearer the mind, the more distinct God's voice speaking to us. How many of you want to hear the voice of God? Well, friends, God has given us some practical principles as to how we can hear His voice more clearly and accurately. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, what about, what, about the, what about when Jesus died? Didn't these health laws come to an end when Christ died on the cross? No, friends, as we learned the other night, it was the ceremonial law that came to an end. But the health laws were different laws than the ceremonial laws of the Bible. Jesus did not come to clean the animals. He came to clean humanity of their sins. Can you say Amen. Some of you might be wondering, well, what about the dream that Peter had when God said not to call any animal common or unclean? Well, friends, remember, this was a vision. It was a dream. It wasn't a literal occurrence. In the vision, in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter saw all kinds of unclean animals. Then God said, kill and eat. And Peter protested, I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And God said, what I have cleansed, you must not call common or unclean. And Many people read that surfacely and they get excited thinking that, that they can just eat whatever they want to eat. But friends, Peter understood what the vision meant. And notice what it meant in Acts 10, verse 28. Peter said, you know how unlawful it is for a what kind of man? Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. You see, the Jews believed that every other nation or kingdom were unclean. And because of that, they did not reach out to them. They felt that if they were to mingle with the heathen nations, that they would have been polluted, that they would have been unclean themselves. They would have been contaminated by their filth. And so they, they were prejudiced, friends, against other nations. But then notice, God gives Peter this dream of unclean beasts. And what do beasts represent in prophecy? It represents kingdoms. So these beasts or animals would represent unclean kingdoms or the Gentile kingdoms or nations. And then Peter says, but God has shown me that I should not call any what? Man common or unclean. He wasn't dealing with animals. He was dealing with the different kingdoms. Basically, what God was saying to Peter, Peter, we are all one in Christ. It's not about race, it's about grace. And Peter, I want you to, to, to preach the gospel to the Gentile nations. That's what the vision was all about. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? amen. Now, did some people ask, well, didn't Jesus say that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man? Yes, he said that. But if you were to take that literally, that means that, that you can go ahead and drink some Clorox and you'll be fine. <laughs> you see, friends, things that we put in our body does defile and destroy our body. And so we can't say that this is literal and that this includes all the, the animals. No, friends. Again, when you read the context, you can understand what God is communicating. Jesus said this to the scribes and Pharisees. And these Pharisees believed that it was a sin to eat food that was prepared by Gentiles. 
They believed that the food that was touched and prepared by Gentiles, if they ate it, they would have been unclean, that that food would have defiled them. They also believed that it was a sin to eat food without washing your hands first, that somehow not washing your hands would defile you. Jesus is addressing that pharisaical mindset. He's basically, uh, he's basically rebuking their, 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 their own spiritual pride and communicating to them that it's not by eating food prepared by Gentiles that's going to defile you. You are already defiled in your heart because of your selfishness and your pride and, and thinking that you're better than others because of your critical and judgmental attitude. You're already defiled from what is already in your heart. That's the message of what Jesus was saying. In no way was he saying that we can just eat whatever we want to eat. And so again, when you read the context, you can understand how the Bible is in complete harmony with itself. And if that makes sense, would you please say amen? And so we find, friends, that our body belongs to God. We are stewards over this temple. And God wants us to glorify Him and honor Him by the things that we eat and the things that we drink. And by the way, friends, this church right here, we have some amazing cooking classes, some amazing chefs that can teach you how to make some food that is, that is not only healthy, but tasty. Amen? Tasty, hearty, healthy food that's good for the body, that gives you what your body needs to run at its optimum, at its full potential. And so in the future weeks and months ahead, we're going to have cooking classes, cooking demonstrations, and health seminars to show you how you can eat and drink to the glory of God. Can you say amen? The food that we've been eating night after night, have you been enjoying that? It's healthy food, friends. And so you don't have to sacrifice taste for health, friends. No, not at all. They go together because God is a good God. And He has created taste buds for our enjoyment. Amen. How many of you are thankful for taste buds? But what happens is when we eat the wrong things, our taste buds become perverted. And here's the good news. The same God that can change our hearts can also change our taste buds. Amen. And so it's a work in progress, of course. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with others. And let's continue to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ, practically in the aspect of the things we eat and drink. Now, as we switch gears a little bit before we close, another way God wants to bless us is also financially. He wants to prosper us in this area. He wants to give to us so that we can give to others because the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so God in His Word has told us in Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. But many people say, but this is my money. I worked hard for it. I put in the hours. And so I'm going to use it however I want to use it. Well, friends, is that true? Is the money in your bank account yours? The house that you live in, does that really belong to you? In most cases, it still belongs to the bank. But not even the bank owns it, friends. Everything belongs to God. Can you say amen? And to help us not forget this, God has commanded us in Deuteronomy 8.18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to, give, to get wealth. God is the one that wakes us up every morning. God is the one that gives us life and gives us breath, that enables us to work and make a living. And therefore, we owe everything to God. God owns absolutely everything. And to, so to help us to remember this and not forget, in the Bible, God has instituted the tithe, the tithing institution. Basically, it tells us that we are to return to God 10% of all of our increase. So, for example, if you, if you earn $1,000, how, 
How much of that belongs to God? How much? How much? Not a hundred, friends. If you, own a, if you make a thousand dollars, how much does that, of that be? Not a hundred, a thousand dollars belongs to God. Amen. The whole thing belongs to Him. But what does He want us to return to Him? That's what you thought I was saying. What does He want us to return? 10%, which is how much? A hundred dollars. God allows us to keep 90. And He only asks for 10%. That's very generous, wouldn't you say? And He promises us a rich blessing when we're faithful in our finances. In Malachi 3, verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. That's the church, friends. In other words, we can't just use the tithe however we want to and just give it to someone that, that needs it. No, it says bring it to the storehouse. That's the church. That there may be food in my house and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I, now, if I will not open for you the, window, oh, excuse me, the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So God promises us a rich blessing when we're faithful with our, with our finances. But some people say, but I have so much debt. I just can't afford to give 10% back to God. I just can't afford it. I have bills. I have loans. I have debt. Oh, friends, let me tell you, you cannot afford not to tithe. You cannot afford to live without the blessing of God. You see, we think that 10 is big. But for some reason, 9 is bigger than 10 when it comes to God. We may not be able to explain it, but we can experience it. Can you say amen? And I'd rather have nine with God's blessing than ten without the blessing of God. Amen? Come on, somebody. God is always faithful in providing for His children, especially when we're faithful to Him. And then it says in Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the last fruits. Does God, do we give God the leftovers? We pay all the bills, and then whatever is left, we give to God. No, friends, it says, The first fruits of all your increase, and so shall your barns be filled with plenty, and your presses shall burst out with new wine. And so if we want to experience the blessings of God in our finances, we need to be faithful in our tithes and offerings. And you try it out, friends. You test God, and God will always come through for you. When you come down to your last dime, He always steps in on time. Can you say amen? That's what one preacher said. I, lo I love that expression. Now, another way God wants to bless us is emotionally and socially in our relationships. And so in His Word, God has instituted the marriage covenant, the marriage, the sacred covenant of marriage. But Satan wants to counter this. And the way in which he does it is by sexual immorality, causing individuals to give themselves away to someone that is not their spouse. And this is a tragedy, friends. This is where broken homes and divorce and, and dysfunction comes from in our society. God's plan is that we save ourselves for the one that God is saving for us, that we are faithful to our marital vows to our spouses. You see, friends, listen. Ma uh, marriage is the foundation of the family. The family is the foundation of the church. And the church is the foundation of society. So Satan corrupts society, how? By trying to corrupt the church. He corrupts the church, how? By trying to corrupt the families of which the church is made up of. And he corrupts the family or breaks down the family by attacking the foundation of the whole thing, which is the husband-wife relationship. And unfortunately, he has succeeded even in the church. We've been told that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That's five out of ten end in divorce. 
And then it gets worse. They say uh, four out of the five that stay married are miserable. And only one out of the original ten truly has a happy home. But here's the good news, friends. You can be the one in ten by the grace of Jesus. Amen? I made many mistakes in my life before I met Christ. I fooled around and, and gave myself away in, in every different way. And I, I, before I knew better, I, I, I made mistakes that I regret. But I'm so thankful, friends, for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses and restores and teaches us how to have godly relationships. My wife and I have been married almost 10 years now. Almost 10 years we've been married, and, and the foundation of our marriage is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the love of God. And so even though disagreements may come, even though storms of, of trials blow our way, the house of our marriage can still stand firm because it's founded upon the solid rock of the love of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? And so if, if you perhaps are having trouble in your marriage, Jesus can restore the love and respect that has been lost. Maybe you've already gone through a devastating divorce. God can help you to let go of the past and move on in your life. Maybe you're a young person and you've given yourself away to someone and you feel so dirty. The good news is that the blood of Jesus cleanses every stain of sin upon the garment of our lives. He can make us pure and clean and virgins once again. Can you say amen? If you're a single parent, Jesus can make the, make the difference in your household. He is the father of the fatherless. He is the judge of widows. He is the one that makes the difference. And so I want to encourage you, family, put your trust in him, and he'll bless you socially and emotionally as well. Amen? Amen. And so we've discovered tonight how we can obtain all of God's blessings, <clears throat> physical blessings, by glorifying him in the things that we eat and drink, by abstaining from that which is not good and harmful for us. And by partaking of that which is good for us, God blesses us physically. God also blesses us financially when we're faithful in our finances and our tithes and offerings. God wants to bless us emotionally and socially as we honor Him in the realm of our relationships. And most of all, spiritually, as we put Him first in every single aspect of our lives. Can you say amen? Friends, you're not disappointed, are you? God never takes away something from us without replacing it with something that is far, far better. And so here's the question. How can we overcome uh, eating things that we are not supposed to eat according to God's Word? What enables us to trust God with a faithful tithe and offering? How can we honor God in our relationships? What is the motivating factor that enables us? It's not the reward of heaven. It's not the fear of hell. But it's the love of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ compels us. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So we find that what compels us to do the right thing is God's love for us. Remember, friends, the Bible says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Remember, it says, therefore, because you were bought with a price, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Because Jesus gave so much for us on Calvary's cross, when we understand that the depth of that sacrifice, it will cause us to want to honor Him who died for us. Can you say amen? And so as we close, how many of you want to pray and say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of my life, but not just in a general sense. I want you to be the Lord of my kitchen. 
the Lord of my bank account, the Lord of my wallet, my checkbook, the Lord of my marriage, the Lord of my relationships, the Lord of my time, the Lord of my life. It's either he's Lord of all or not Lord at all. So let's make him Lord of all today. What do you say? Oh, friends, I wish I had, I wish I had more strength in my voice because let me tell you, I'm excited, but I just can't express it because I'll, because I'll lose my voice. But, but it's exciting, friends, to know that God cares and he's going to bless us in every single way. You want that blessing in your life? If so, I invite you to bow your heads as we close with prayer tonight. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much that you love us and you want to bless us. And Lord, we see clearly that you've given us these principles, these, uh, these commands in your word, not because you're trying to take away things that we like. It's because you're trying to protect us from that which is harmful and you're wanting to replace it with something even better. So Lord, please help us to trust you in every single aspect of, of our lives. And as we see the day of your approach coming near, Lord, I pray that you would help us to glorify you in our body and in our spirit, in the things that we eat and drink, and whatever we do, may we do it to the glory of God. We thank you, Lord. Bless the food we're about to partake of and prepare our hearts, prepare my voice for the next presentation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.